Well, it's good to be with you this morning to come all the way uh, from Costa Mesa, California. And my brother is from Madison, Alabama, so it is not that far of a drive. And this beautiful young lady here is my niece, so it's so fun. She said, I'm going to come for part of your sermon, but if it gets boring, I'm going to leave. And don't worry, I get bored easily. So my whole goal for this entire sermon is to keep Anna in the room. No pressure. No pressure. Let's pray because we're going to need God's help for that. Lord God, as always, I simply ask this, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of us here in this space together will be acceptable to you because, God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, uh, a lot of you have been spending time with family the last couple of days, um, and I know that as I say this, there might have been some awkward uh, family moments. Please don't turn and look at your neighbor. You might um, you have someone with you that makes you a little uncomfortable. Having family sometimes is good and sometimes is bad. And if we have spent a lot of time watching the Hallmark movies that come on around now, we can feel like we do not like, live up to the expectation of what the holidays look like. So for us in our community back in Costa Mesa, we decided that for our series kind of leading up to this, we would talk about the idea of ancestors and family. Because for a lot of us, because our church has a similar uh, demographic uh, to yours, a lot of folks, it's difficult when they go home. It can be awkward or difficult things are asked. Um, And so we talked about how family can be both the family that we were born with, but also the family that we choose. In fact, some people are just our relatives and others are our ancestors. There's this fantastic quote that I love. Some people are your relatives, but others are your ancestors. You choose the ones you want to have as ancestors. You create yourself out of those values. And that's from Ralph Ellison. See, we all have some sort of history. And the same is true when we think of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to talk about how Jesus's family tree is just as messed up as ours. And I think that's the good news, isn't it? Like, you ever have that thing where you're like, that's my aunt. You can talk about my aunt and I will kill you, but I'm gonna talk about how crazy my aunt is. I actually describe being from Mississippi in some ways as like, you can talk about the South, like if you talk about the South, we're gonna brawl. But they really are crazy, right? Like you have that kind of thing, and you do that with your family. And I'm gonna give you a little disclaimer before I tell you a family story. First of all, my family's here, so I have to tell the truth. Second of all, you may hear um, several accents coming out of my mouth, and that's because my ancestry is really kind of a bunch of things melded together. First of all, my mom is British. My dad is Canadian. I was raised in Canada until I was 14. And then we did what a lot of people do, which is move to Mississippi. See how that's a really, just a very similar culture. I was 14. The only thing I knew about American culture was saved by the bell. Um, I was like, I got to marry, I got to date a football player, which I did. Like, I tried to figure out how to be American. So I grew up with all these different cultures, which means for me, you're going to hear all of those accents come out. So I have my own accent, and my best friend calls it Brother Nathan, British Southern Canadian. So enjoy, and I'm so sorry as a disclaimer. But I want to tell you the story of my grandma. And so I brought a picture of my grandma. Are you guys ready? That's my grandma and my grandpa. Very British. Do we agree? This is their wedding day. That's how fancy they got on their wedding day. They were the most practical people 
you could ever meet, even on their wedding day. And that was in World War II. And so you can imagine as, as that's sort of happening around them how there's not a lot of extra time for getting too fancy or too excited about anything, right? Yet, my grandma is quite a story. And when I think about an ancestor, I would say that my grandmother, whose name, how British is this, is Minnie Goodfellow Piercy. My grandmother's name was Minnie. Minnie uh, was a unique woman in that she was actually a chemist. Now, a chemist in England means a pharmacist, and so is my grandpa. They were both pharmacists. And from a very tiny age, I was told the story of my grandmother running across campus to try to make it to class because if she was ever late, the teachers locked the doors because they did not want women in their classrooms. And yet, she became a chemist. And I remember my grandfather telling me one time, and my grandfather had a very dry sense of humor. My favorite story about my grandfather is that my uh, cousin, who was just an adorable blonde, she is the cutest ever, and she had big blue eyes, and she ran up to my grandpa, and she said, can you put on Pocahontas, grandpa? And he said, no, it's crap. And so that's like, if that, if that gives you any idea about how my grandfather was just hysterical. And he said to me one day, you know she's smarter than me talking about my grandma, a woman who, who kind of endured constantly being locked out of classrooms, being told she wasn't supposed to be there. So why do I know she's my ancestor? I know she's my ancestor because when I went to seminary, um, I went to uh, Duke, which was a great seminary. Nobody cheered. That hurts my feelings, but Duke is a great school. Um, it's not our season. We're coming up on it. We're doing okay. We lost one game. I'm fine. Um, when I was there, I had come from Canada, which was a culture that kind of w- women were pastors. That wasn't odd to me at all. In fact, I was confirmed by a female pastor, so why would that be weird? Remember the part of the story where I told you I moved to Mississippi? Um, I moved to Mississippi, and part of me um, really trying to become American was that uh, when I was in college, I joined two groups. On one, literally, there was like a, uh, like a little garden area between the two, by the way. One was the Wesley Foundation, which was Methodist, and the other side was the Baptist Student Union. And if I'm honest, I most often went to the Baptist Student Union because they had the cutest worship leaders. Um, and I loved a deep V-neck. I did. I really did. And so I, uh, I would go to the Baptist Student Union, but I really felt like I was being supported in the Methodist group. So can you imagine being in a Methodist group where you're being told, yeah, of course you could go to ministry. Not only can you go to ministry, oh, should I worry? (laughs) Just a break. Not only should I uh, go into ministry, but that I was gifted for that. See, I had no idea. I struggled with what I was supposed to do with my life. You often hear pastors say that. And I didn't really want to be a pastor because um, unlike the Baptist, we didn't make a lot of money in the Methodist church, and so I was really afraid of what that even meant. So if you can imagine a young girl in college trying to figure out what she wants to do, and I told my campus minister, I said, look, I think I'm supposed to go into ministry. At that point, I'd had four different majors, and I ended up graduating with a minor in biology because that was my fallback. I was going to be a doctor as a fallback. That tells you anything about my drive. She looked at me and she said, all of us are so happy to hear that you have decided to go into ministry because all of us have known that you were called into it, but nobody knew how to tell you. 
So when I ran across to the, the Baptist Student uh, Union and I told them that I was going to go into ministry, you can imagine the reaction. They were so excited for a woman to be going into ministry. They were not excited for me to go into ministry at all. Um, and one of them said, oh, awesome, you could meet um, maybe a guy there and you could be a pastor's wife. about my grandmother as I was walking to class one day, and and Duke is a a school that really tries to have different types of people, and I'd already heard a little bit of the pushback of you're a woman, you can't be in ministry. I made the joke this morning that my mic wasn't working because God said women be silent, but now it's working. (laughs) As I was standing in the hallway getting ready to go into a class, I heard this guy, and I'll never forget because he had the thickest southern accent, and he said, I don't even know why they bother letting them in. Who is that? I mean, why would a woman want to come to seminary? And I'm, I'm right there. And I, I remember thinking about my grandmother as I pushed past him and opened the door, walking in first. Because for me, I wasn't going to be told what I could or couldn't do. Because that's my ancestor, my grandmother, who, who pushed through things, who broke barriers. It's part of who I am. And why I mention this is as we look at Jesus' family tree, if you look, what you discover is that Jesus has a lot of really strong women in his family tree. And what's unique and weird, and we're going to talk about a little bit today, is that one of those people is Ruth. And so I've been preaching through all the different people that have been part of this Jesus story in a series I have called, and this is really embarrassing, but really get excited for me. Ready? 23 and he. (laughs) I came up with that in a staff meeting, and this is how you know my staff love me. They're like, fine. Like, no, this is good, guys. You get it? They're like, no, we get it. We're just not laughing. (laughs) When we look at Jesus' narrative, particularly in Matthew, we're going to look at that really quick. If you uh, brought your Bibles or didn't bring your Bibles, no worries. We're going to have it up on the screen. I'm not going to read all of the names. I want you to read them. Are they coming? Oh, it's behind me. It's not on the wall there. Um, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of, and by the way, when our reader read this last time, I just said, read it quick. Aminadab is what we decided the father of Nishan, Nishan the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Let's keep going. You can read those all on your own. If you read all of those different names, we come here to the end. The father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever a genealogy comes up in the Bible, confession time, I usually just skip by it. No one else? I'm the worst Christian in the room? None of you just, like, skip through it? I remember getting to that part in seminary, and I couldn't read the names very well, so I would just say, and then that guy begat 
That guy who also begat, what is begatting anyone? We get kind of stuck in the muck and the mire of it, but what I love about Matthew is that this is a particular theology in just the names mentioned. And I wanted to share that with you, and so I went online and I looked for Jesus's family tree, and I couldn't find one that named the women, other than Mary. I really couldn't. I couldn't find any graphic that, that really named the women. But it's scandalous that they name the women. This morning, we're going to talk about one of the most scandalous names on there, Ruth. Someone said Rahab. I heard you. We're talking about that next week at my church. Actually, they're talking about it this morning without me. You're welcome. Um, <clears throat> this guy jokes with me that I make him preach every time there's a scandalous thing. But if we look at Ruth's story, we know kind of how it goes. And if you don't know the story of Ruth, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. First of all, what's really shocking about her is that Ruth is a foreigner. She followed her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, was married to Amalek. And she, he had two sons, and we know the sons die. And, and the story is really interesting because the story of Israel is that they were not supposed to marry the Moabites, but they did. And so she has these two daughter-in-laws, and she, her husband has died, and her sons have died, and the, the daughter-in-laws say, we will go with you. And there's this beautiful word, hest, we will go with you. And, and her response is that you are hest to me with loving kindness. And that word is usually only ever used when describing God's love for people, God's faithfulness to people. It's this beautiful story, and I love that we read it at weddings. We're like, friends, this is not what that's about, right? Your people will be my people, right? That's not about a wedding. It's about this just absolutely beautiful story between two people. So we're going to look at that. This is Ruth. It's coming up. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman named, said to Naomi, Praise be the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is a beautiful story, right? And we've often told, right, that Jesus comes from the line of David, right? Have you guys ever heard the story of David? He's the worst. Like, Absolutely. And every time I preached last uh, summer, I let my intern decide what I was. I was like, it'd be a good lesson for you to like decide what we're going to preach on. And she's like, let's preach on David. And I was like, oh, like every Sunday I had to be like, and this is the point where you ask your children to leave because it's a terrible, terrible story of a man who abused everyone, women, children. He was an awful human. And yet he's in Jesus's family tree and we celebrate him. So we look at Ruth. Now, Ruth is mentioned in this story. And again, why I say it's so odd is that Ruth isn't from the line. Ruth is a foreigner. She is a Moabite. 
And you have to understand that this is going to be really hard for you guys to contextualize this in our time, but I want you to imagine what it would be like for people to be afraid of immigrants. Just imagine. We're very different now, but if you could just imagine, like, making laws to make sure certain ones can come and other ones can't. Okay, I, just, I need you to use your thinking and just imagining here. Israel actually had two words for foreigner. The first word was czar. And that's foreigner and not in a great way. And that describes the Canaanites, the Ammonites, and the Moabites. They are the three unfavorable foreigner. And what's interesting is why are they unfavorable? They come from the same line. Remember, (laughs) in the Old Testament, there's not a lot of branches on the tree, right? So they're all related, but apparently uh, the Moabites, they come from a line where there was incest, So do all of them, if we follow the thing. But for whatever reason, Israel decided the Moabites, those were the unfavorable ones. Now there was also the name, which meant, it's G-E-R, Ger. And those, those are the sojourner, or the alien. Those are the ones who come from the outside of the community, but settle within the community. Those are the ones who assimilate, the ones who look like us and sound like us. They're great, aren't they? We love them. Imagine people coming from countries where it was fine for them to come because they look like us, whatever us is. A refugee or immigrant settling into a community is identified as an outsider or a foreign. So you can imagine a Moabite woman being mentioned in the line or genealogy of Jesus, for those of us who feel outside of our own family trees, what does this mean for us? It's a remarkable story. It's remarkable to think that David's great-great-grandmother is a Moabite, an outsider. We are a people born of outsiders. As we keep looking at this story, we also have to understand that, that Ruth's story really is one of almost being used. But she does so in a way because she is hest to this woman, Naomi. Now, in the Old Testament, most of the action we get about God is like God doing something very spectacular, splitting a sea, like all these big things. But why do we have this book of Ruth? Ruth gets her entire own book. It's where God is speaking through something tiny, not a burning bush, but a relationship between two women who have committed themselves to each other and this beautiful way of being with each other. Now let's not forget Boaz. Boaz, who who does this amazing thing to not just welcome Ruth in, but to treat her and say things like she is a worthy woman, which has only ever been used to describe people from Israel. Women from Israel were described as worthy wives. Proverbs 12.4, a good wife. Proverbs 31.10, a capable woman. This story is incredible because Ruth is described by her actions. I want us to remember that verse. If you've ever been to um, a wedding where they use that verse of Ruth, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. I want us to notice something about Ruth. What transitions Ruth from a Moabite to someone who you would mention as an ancestor? It's not that she did the right prayer. It's not that she had the right faith. It's not even that she like totally understood all of this. Instead, what makes 
Ruth, part of the lineage of Jesus, is that she chose to live a life of faith. I think for so long we have got church a little bit backwards. We've told people that they need to believe the right thing before they can belong or be the right thing before they can belong. But if we even look at our own ancestors, that was never the case. What makes Ruth one of us is that she's participating in the way of the kingdom of God. She is walking with a widow who has nothing to offer her. And if you even notice, Naomi mentions to her like, (laughs) by the way, the Bible is so weird and all of you just like, I'll read something at my church, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I'm like, I just said that Jesus put, like, demons into pigs, and you guys are like, yeah, I think I'll have bacon at lunch. I don't know. And you're like, this is a weird story, people. Get weirded out by this. The fact that Naomi turns to her these daughters-in-law, and she's like, you should leave. I'm too old to have another kid. And by the time he grows up, like, what? That's odd. But what she's really saying is, what use am I to you? And beautifully, what Ruth does here is this amazing kingdom of God moment and says, you're worth it. Even if you don't give me anything, I will journey with you. Your God will be my God. See, sometimes I think we have it backwards. And again, we just think if you just believe these couple of things, and what happens, and this happened for some of us in the room, is that we stop believing some of those things. And our community said, thanks for coming. your beliefs make me uncomfortable, so if you could please leave. At no point does Naomi turn to Ruth and say, you know, your beliefs are really not working for me, so if you could just leave me on this dirt road, that would be great. It's this moment where we see that sometimes people need to belong before they believe. They need to know what it means to be the beloved before they step into faith. Your God will be my God. Why is that? Because she has these amazing examples of what it looks like to stick with someone. And then the story as we hear it, as Boaz just walks with her, even though she may not be like exactly what the people around her expect. This is how I say it in fancy language to my people. If we try to nail on orthodoxy or correct belief, if we try to land on that, churches cannot stay together. Because all of us have shifts in faith. And and how do I know that? I know that because our relationship to God should be the same as our relationship with other people. Here is a tip for how you know a couple isn't doing well anymore. They don't even bother to disagree. They don't even question the person because whatever. When we start treating our faith as like, well, I've landed on this. This is who God is forever and ever. Amen. Anytime we see that in the Bible, what happens is God changes the game up. God brings in a Moabite woman to show them what faith really looks like. If we stop wrestling with our faith, and a lot of people like land on something and then say, everybody else land on this thing, but it's a moving target. Orthodoxy is difficult and doesn't always work out, but orthopraxis or the correct action, that can pair people together. And that truly is this beautifully inclusive thing because sometimes we need to belong to believe. And you've seen that. You've seen that sometimes when you have welcomed someone into the space, then they begin to say things like, your God is my God. If you're like this because of faith, I've never seen a faith like that. That's why I love this church community. 
I love Grace Point. I hear about it from so many of my friends. I I listen to some of the sermons online because I really believe what you're asking people to be a part of is this idea of orthopraxor. What does it look to be as inclusive and as loving as God is? And we'll worry about orthodoxy later. Now, that's really hard for me to say. I am a Methodist ordained clergy member. I have reverend in front of my name, to which my aunt said, but you're irreverent. And I thought, that could be my wrestling name, the irreverent reverend. (laughs) But we landed on the pastor of disaster. (laughs) So like, there's all these different names I could have. I I think it is beautiful for us to have deep-seated beliefs. But what I think we get it wrong is when we stand on a corner and be like, here's the right thing to believe. I don't know that that actually changes anyone. What I think it does do is make people fearful and think of God in this sort of abusive and usually, let's be honest, father kind of way. And many of us have experienced that, and it worked for a little while. When we start doing our own scripture reading or start actually living in the world, we realize things aren't what we thought they were. Maybe what we thought was God is not God. So how do we have a shared system together? It's all the things you mentioned at the start. It's orthopraxis. And that, friends, is contagious. That, friends, is what would make people journey down a road with us. And I love that there's this beautiful story of Ruth teaching us that God doesn't always speak in the huge moments, but sometimes it's just in the relational. In fact, I don't know anyone who hasn't changed because of relationship. Now, I don't know, maybe you have been the person who came to Jesus because you saw a sign that you really loved Right? Have you ever wondered, like, those people on the corner, how many people, like, I've wanted to stand beside them and just be like, oh, one conversion. Like, how many people are like, you know, I uh, didn't realize I was going to hell till now. Thank you so much. I'm going to actually sign up for your club. It looks great. But I have known people who have gone on mission trips or even just served in the city. And there's this strange feeling they feel. Like they want to know the God that these people know. Your God will be my God. Friends, when we look at the background of Jesus, I think what we'll discover is for those of us who feel like we're outside, we're in good company. We're in great company. Because everyone, it seems, that kind of came before Jesus was a black sheep didn't really fit in. And yet, it's in relationship with them that God does the most powerful things. When we are hessed together, when we believe in the loving kindness that is God. My hope for you is that you as a community will figure out what it's like to help people belong even before they believe. And for those of you who still believe or are kind of holding on, that you'll be able to re-enter, reconstruct. I'm blessed to be in a community with folks who have reconstructed, and they're some of my favorite people. Because there is just this, like, I want to know what I used to know, but in a way that doesn't harm others or, or maybe can include parts of me that I thought I had to get rid of first. And God is just standing there being like, no, 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 you already belong. In fact, our our church, we came up with a a mission statement, which I'm never really a fan of this process, but it went really well. And what we came up with is our church is called First United. First United exists to remind people that they are already loved by God. 
It is the sacred remembrance. I love that we're told about Ruth. And I love that in the end, Naomi gets to feel what it's like to feel joy again. May we be the people who help other people feel joy again. Those who have felt outside or as though God has forgotten them. This is what you guys are doing. I can't wait to come back and see all the chairs you're going to have to add. I don't know what the fire code is, but I I think it's going to happen soon. Will you pray with me, friends? God, the dance of life is sometimes very confusing. And we don't know exactly where it is that you're leading us or whether we're leading. It just feels so chaotic. And we look for for big signs because we feel like that's how people saw you. And yet, we are reminded this morning that it is often just a relationship. One person who reminds us of the identity that we already have. We are the beloved with whom God is well pleased. Sometimes it takes a foreigner to remind us. Sometimes we, as a foreigner, need to be drawn in. God, would you help us? Would you open our eyes to the people around us who need to know that they are enough and that they are loved by you? And will we believe in that? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.